0: Welcome to Mythos Podcast, a journey through world folklore region by region, country by country. Here you will experience folk tales and legends through music-accompanied retellings of traditional lore. With brief introductions, the emphasis is on the stories and the rich landscapes and cultures that birth them. Enjoy the riches of the folk imagination. Welcome to Folklorica Baltica, an exploration of folkloric realms in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Quote from deepbaltic.com, Estonians are forest people, and a certain wildness holds an important place in the self-image of Estonians. This aspect of Estonian culture also struck travel writer Rick Steves, who said, I was charmed by the tradition of burying loved ones in forests. Wandering in a dense pine forest with well-cared-for tombs scattered all around, I could feel the connection to their land and heritage at the forested Estonian cemeteries. Estonia is a thickly forested country, and for many, they see trees as almost spiritual. And with forests covering about 50% of the country's territory, woodlands and folk tradition are magically potent. A spiritual source where one can find spirits called forest fathers and mothers. The woodland protecting Metzik spirit sacred groves and branches lovingly decorated with ribbons and healing springs. Amongst the many groves, those of oak and linden are particularly cherished with even the ground beneath considered so sacred the cattle could not graze there and branches, leaves, and berries were not picked. In these groves offerings would be placed for gnomes, fay folk, and other supernatural forces. And perhaps the deep aliveness of woodlands and wild spaces was recognized, and perhaps such reverence is one of the many ways vaki, a word meaning the inherent life force of all things, was honored, and even harnessed. For magic practitioners and forest mothers and fathers were those who had special measures of vaki. They could direct this power and could wield powerful words and objects to use it for their purposes and since Vagi is not distributed evenly, some places were more potent than others, perhaps few more so than the fabled wood of Tama. In a time more ancient than time itself, there brooded a strange woodland, a haunt of the Metzig, a dwelling place for the spirits of those remote ancestors that wore teeth and tusks around their necks and could distill the power out of head, heart, blood, nails, fur, and teeth. The wood of Tantla was in Alutaga, north of Lake Pepus, remote and lonely, yet alive with movement, Some reported seeing a tumble-down house through the primeval thickets. Some said they caught glimpses of semi-human creatures with which the grass swarmed like an anthill. These beings were ragged and wolf-wild, and there were many cackle-spirited old women with ravined faces and half-naked children capering in tall grass. Because the place tasted hoary, ancient, In the deep places of the minds, it was taboo, feared, only taken in with a side glance. Otherwise, you would end up like that great-grandfather, whose head nearly split with a headache and whose vision swam with vertigo and nausea when he tried to talk about what he had seen and felt. First, he felt music gypsy-like and waltzing, that the only natural sounds he actually heard were the normal pipings and whirrings and shuffles of a summer woodland. And when he stopped along the edge of Forbidden Totler, great-granddad peered between the trees into spaces, dancing with mayflies and tinkling shadow. And near that tumble-down house, there were women and children gathered around a fire. Some sat and some danced, "'perhaps gypsy folk. "'Yet when an old woman, with ravined face and cackle spirit, "'took a broad iron shovel "'and scattered red-hot light onto the grass, "'he had to concentrate to see that these were embers "'she was spreading on the grass, "'for the tiny glowing coals dazzled the soul. "'Not only that, when she did this, "'the children would fly up into the air, "'fluttering about like owls in the rising smoke,' And sinking down again. The sight of these owl children, full of the broad-winged, sharp-eyed spirit of that nocturnal bird of prey, made Great Grandad feel lightheaded, giddy in the way one feels when they look down from impossible heights. Then he heard a head-shuffling movement and saw a little old man with a twiglet tangled beard coming out of a dense section of the forest, with a sack on his back. His deep breaths sounded like bison huffs, and there was a largesse about his movements that belied his stature. Then, the ragged and wolf-wild women and children leapt up and swarmed around the old man with carnival excitement, trying to pull the sack off his back. Then, great-granddad saw, behind them all, a movement of shadow and fur, a coal-black set of hackles, a cat as large as a foal, and had been sitting on the doorstep of the dilapidated house, glaring with eyes of deep fire. And when it leapt onto the sack and bounded into the house, great-granddad nearly fainted in shock. He snuck home and could barely focus because his mind's eye was set on a cardinal direction only known in shadow lands. His mind's eye was dazzled by fiery embers and owl children and old folks who could distill the power out of head, hard blood, nails, fur, and teeth. And in great-granddad's time, when Sweden ruled Estonia, the king of Sweden himself ordered the wood of Tantla to be felled cut down for wood that would fuel castle and war and iron works. The people refused, for kingly punishment was preferable, at least had a human familiarity about it. Everyone refused, except that is, for one desperate woodcutter, who buried an axe in a tree, in a tree that bled, and moaned and cried out in such pain that every farming village in the area became silent and shuddered. And so it became said for many generations amongst all the people of the villages, beware, beware the wood of Totla. strange woodland that dwelled nearby a small village where little Elsie and her father tried to coexist with the stepmother smoldering with the steam of past angers and hurts, a steam that made her the nasty stepmother of old. And she made Elsie's life more intolerable than hell. If the little girl left dust in a corner, Stepmother would smack her so hard in the back of the head that her teeth would clatter. If the girl did everything perfectly, stepmother would say to Papa, when he returned home from the fields and complimented the domestic artistry in good sense, stepmother would say, no thanks to your lazy daughter, even when little Elsie had done it all. Worst of all, at table, When twilight deepened, and the candlelight called peace to the soul, the stepmother would give Elsie gristle and scraps and moldy bread, while she and Papa ate a rich stew of pork and lovely rye bread, punishment for her supposed poor efforts in the house that day. And Papa would slurp at his soup and do nothing. Every mina gün tiö ida
1: my du ma da yo ida hiri lo no, du ma da yo. My peksi yo ida my sarhete yo ida
0: Now, some relief from that twisted inversion of home life was given to Elsie on that day, that special day, when all minds were soaked in sunshine and hearts fluttered like moths in the expanse of twilight. It was St. John's Eve, midsummer, and so precious was this time between the labor of spring planting and late summer harvesting that even stepmothers found their hearts lightened and their hands busy. Everywhere people prepared for the festivities, giant wood piles were being erected on nearby hills and in a lovely meadow for the Yanatuli the bonfires that would be the flaming heart of Midsummer. Songs were being practiced for the ring dances around the fires that would make the very celestial sphere dizzy with joy. Young men and women practiced jumping to prepare for that traditional leaping over the bonfire that so invigorated the soul. Women were binding together leafy birch branches for the saunas so revelers could beat themselves gently while sweating out pain and sorrow. Others were napping, so they would have the energy to search for the sacred fern flower, and thereby gain wealth and the knowledge of the sacred language of animals. And it was through this raucous joy that Elsie and a group of children carried their baskets out through the flowered meadows and to hedges and patches, pregnant with ripe strawberries now these berries had a red that whispered of deep places in the sun at least to elsie these berries were pastry sweet and with an intensity of strawberry flavor that seemed fresh from the vaults of heaven the children ate as many as they picked and without thinking followed a trail of the sweetest one with Elsie in the lead and eventually out of earshot of the other children. And as Elsie created an artful mound of summer sweet strawberries in her basket, she heard one of the boys shout. At first, she couldn't quite hear the words, but as she concentrated, she made out, Beware, beware, the wood of Totla. Elsie turned and saw small forms fleeing over the crest of a hill and when she turned back to the strawberry patch she realized she was indeed at the very edge of the strange woodland which seemed to breathe out birdsong and breathe in one's complete tension. Elsie sighed and knowing the thick shroud of taboo surrounding this forest said out loud the dwellers in Tauntla cannot be worse than my stepmother at home. And with that, she continued picking and eating, enjoying the taste of solitude serenaded by Tantla's many voices. Then, amidst the chorus, came a silvery, tinkling sound, and with that, a dog barking. Elsie stepped into the woodland and looked around when a little black dog with a bell around its neck came bounding towards her. Elsie had never seen such fine silver before, and it seemed to have a glow. Very strange, since this dog must belong to a very fine and noble household. And just as she was thinking this, gazing at this fine little dog in the midst of a primeval thicket where only gods could dwell, she saw a little girl dressed in silks with the same star-silver nimbus as the dog's bell. This girl ran up to quiet the dog, and Elsie only stared, for those silks sang to the eye, sang all the reds and yellows and oranges and deep purples of wildflowers at a sun-drenched meadow. Little Elsie had never seen silver or silk before, at least not up close. And she wondered at the magic artisan who could create such beauty. The little girl smiled at Elsie and held the dog in her arms. I'm glad you stayed. Stay and be my companion. My mother will not refuse you if I ask. And as if to welcome her, The little dog jumped out of the girl's arms and licked the back of Elsie's hand. Elsie smiled and nodded, and the little girl took her hand, leading her through a thicket of neck-high ferns, and Elsie gasped to see blossoms of unknown hues resting on the fern leaves, which seemed to glow with a twilight gleam, fed by the bonfire glows in the distance, and the singing joy of St. John's Eve. Elsie's very soul breathed in at the scene that opened before her once they had traversed the stretch of blossoming ferns. She felt keenly aware of her own rags and dirty face, of the punishing bruise on her cheek, and she couldn't believe that the likes of her could be there. Where fruit trees were laden with apples and pears that also sang that star-silver nimbus, where compositions of heavenly song came from birds of gold and silver, birds so friendly they would rest in Elsie's dusty palm, where a house could be built of precious stones, like the ones little Elsie had heard at church when the New Jerusalem was described, with those beautiful names she could only imagine. Jasper, jacinth, sapphire, topaz, and ruby. And on the bench in front of this gem and glass house shining in the sun was a tall woman in silk robes sitting on a bench, Her hair was ablaze with golden light and her deep green eyes reflected back all the verdant hues of the forest. This lady greeted the little girl and asked, Who is your guest, child? The little girl smiled and said, Elsie is my friend. May she stay, please? The woman narrowed her gaze a bit and Elsie felt something like a breath blow through her, a strong presence in her mind, like a strong and detailed memory. The lady studied her for a brief moment, and then asked Elsie to come forward. Where is your family, little one? Do you want to stay with us? The lady patted Elsie's bruised cheek, and the poor, injured soul couldn't help but nuzzle into the lady's soft, warm hand. Perhaps It was the warm, tender touch. Perhaps it was the genuine excitement of companionship that Elsie could see in the little girl's face. Whatever it was, Elsie cried choking tears, and her head swam with so much emotion that she sank to her knees from a kind of vertigo. She wept out all the teeth-chattering head-smacks, and every night of her stepmother's smug lies, and every stinging disappointment of her father's silence. And the lady was silent, and the little girl was silent, and even the birds and the dog were silent. The lady then stood and lifted Elsie up, saying, I must think over the matter. And with that, she walked into the great house. Elsie just stood for a moment, confused, when the little girl approached her and said, My mother is very friendly toward you. She just needs to consider what to do. And then, after a brief pause, she grinned, and her face seemed as pristine as new growth and as ancient as primeval hummus. She took out a toy box and held it in the palm of her hand. While mother thinks... I'll show you something you've never seen before. When the toy box was opened, there was a lady smock, a mussel shell, and two tiny fish bones within that hawed all the earthy glamour of a hedge witch's repertoire. Elsie looked and knew that this little girl and mother were the old ones who could distill the power out of head, heart, blood, nails, fur, and teeth. She waited and bit her lip. "'Within was also a single leaf, a silver birch leaf, in fact, with a few drops of glittering water. "'The midsummer morning dew!' Elsie exclaimed, and the little girl nodded. "'Then she threw the dew on the grass, and the grass, the house, the garden, all vanished, as if they'd sunk underground.' Water then spread out to the horizon in every direction, and they stood on a tiny patch of grass in the middle. Elsie breathed out an exclamation, for she could have been in the middle of the ocean. Then, suddenly they were in a boat, gliding on pearl glow in blue, and they had a sail and oars. Other boats glided into view, and the occupants sang to them, sang golden words and silver tunes as gleaming as those garden birds. And as they sang they kept saying a name, Kisike. Elsie looked at the girl who nodded. Ah, so that was her name, Kisike. It hissed and prowled and capered off the tongue in the most exhilarating way. Kisike. Kitty, Cat. When in the distance they heard mother's voice cry, Come home, children, Kisuke took the leaf out of the box, dipped it into the water so that a few drops glistened on its surface. And just as quickly as it had all disappeared, the garden and the grass and the house instantly reappeared. Kisuke packed away the curved mussel shell and the straight little fish bones and the lady's smock. And when, at a dinner table full of laughter and golden platters... The lady told everyone present that she was adopting Elsie as her foster daughter. Little Elsie felt tinkling bells and birdsong in her heart, which had been so bereft of melody for so long. Of course, there was the problem of Elsie's father and stepmother. Surely, the children who had fled would tell them that Elsie had been near the wood of Tauntla. The lady's eyes darkened with woodland creature cunning, and she said to the old man, Make a life-size doll of Elsie. We'll send her to the village. And so it was. The old man took clay, and with deft, elegant movements that belied his age, he made an image so like Elsie that it was hard to believe. This hollow doppelganger was then partially filled with three salt herrings and a bit of bread. Then, a hole in the breast was made, and the old man guided a snake through. Then, when he had taken three drops of blood from Elsie with a golden needle... The doll flung open its eyes and a tremble went through it. And when the doll took a deep breath, Elsie felt her body ripple with uneasiness. And when the doppelganger Elsie giggled and ran around, well, it was a strange business indeed. And the lady said, send her to the village. The stepmother can rampage her paint on this doll, for it can feel nothing. And so it was. Now, while Elsie's little soul became curved and rounded by the sculpting hand of love, she wore fine new clothes and learned the deep magic of Tantla. She memorized poetic magic that healed wounds and gashes in heart and mind. Her eyes became sharp and sensitive to the many varieties of plants and herbs. She acquired understanding of shadows that slither into the mouth and nose and then into the mind, and she learned the songs that banish them. She learned the old language of rock, and stone, and fur, and teeth. And she learned the love of the lady, and the quiet strength of the old man. But most importantly, she learned of hidden blessing. For it was the way of things in this woodland, full of latent power, that the old man need only tap his silver wand on the great rock in the garden, and all food and drink would come flying from the megalith. Yet... When the thirteenth dish came out, it was never eaten. And after this happened a number of times, Elsie asked her lady mother why. Mother's forest eyes beamed, sang light on the girl when she answered. This is the dish of hidden blessing, and if we eat, our happy life disappears. Men of the world would also be happier if they didn't just greedily devour without pause, without giving from their own heart to the eternal giver. Elsie then understood that the lady and her beautiful household was the hidden blessing inside the dark history woven around the wood of Tantla, and her little soul grew beyond its confines that day. It wasn't just her soul that grew to be as prolific as the fern and as keen as the fox. Her form, her body, too, took on the elegant fullness of the fern and the lithe quickness of the fox. To look on Elsie was to feel sweeping winds through soaring pines and burrowing mice in deep places. And Lady Mother saw, and Lady Mother knew, the time had come she called Elsie to her room and the little girl ran in excited with heavy breathing anticipation. You must leave us, Elsie, mother said simply. The girl froze and stared. Then her eyes darted around the room like a wild animal. Then she whispered, What have I done? For there was still a cuffed and insulted child within that knew this day would come. Mother's eyes filled with tears, and so did Elsie's. Whatever it is I have done, I can fix it, Elsie said, her whole body a plea as she knelt down and lay her head on her mother's leg. You have done nothing wrong, Elsie. You were perfect the day I adopted you, dear one, and I have nourished you from my own table. Now you are grown, and what awaits you beyond the confines of Tantla is a hidden blessing of old. Now, Elsie wasn't convinced she pleaded with her mother. She would be her cook, her chambermaid, her steward, whatever she wanted. But Mother shook her head and said, You cannot understand what my duty to you is, hard as it is for me also, but everything must be done as I direct. You're a child of mortal man, and your years must come at length to an end, and therefore you cannot remain here any longer. I myself and those around me possess human forms. We were not human beings like you, but beings of golden bird song, that reaches the very heights of the celestial sphere and returns again to shine on the earth for age upon age. No, Elsie, you will return to the human world where a great blessing remains hidden within a human man. Elsie nodded and the whole household stood amidst the fruit trees, the gold and silver-winged birds singing their farewell to the girl. And when the old man touched her with the silver wand three times, she felt something like breath and whisper beneath every inch of her skin, then a bulging as if something were trying to push out of her skin. She gasped and tried to reach out for her mother, for she was very afraid. Yet, with a flow as natural as tears and as powerful as leaping revelers over the midsummer bonfire, beautiful feathers began to sprout all over her. And without thought or intent, her bird body lifted off the ground and she watched Mother and Kisike and the old man wave at her and shout their blessings. to describe the initial flight of a woman hawk when one mounts wind like stairs and swoops over treetops with heaven-piercing cries. There is a laugh and a screech in the infinite spaces between thoughts. Elsie felt a new thing she can never have known existed, things hidden in the mind of the creator. She could hear the bass drum rhythm of the days that time and day and night and dawn and sunset had songs woven into them. It made her soar high and shriek with laughter. When she alighted on the top of an ancient tree, she could feel a hum coming from the very earth, and that hum nestled its warmth into her heart. The great movement of creation and all its waves and breaths and contractions could be perceived in one great sweeping flight over the land. She flew and called out into the wind and laughed and air danced for several days. Until a stinging pain made all her bird muscles and tendons freeze in animal terror. A pain like a thousand tiny cuts, and she could feel blood rupturing into all the spaces of her bird body. And when she plummeted to the ground, Elsie lifted her bird head and saw a wooden shaft sticking out of her shank, an arrow. And that pain, that pinned-to-the-ground helplessness, conjured up memories of her life in the village, of beatings, of her cowed posture before a hissing stepmother. And she shrieked, for such an ending was so cruel that she could not bear it. Perhaps then, after all, her hidden blessing was death. The story now is a beautiful one the wounded, meeting the wounded, and finding unexpected transfiguration in blood and violence and unrequited longing. For that arrow belonged to a prince, a prince with hidden depths, a prince who had had many a silly, spoiled princess paraded before him, a prince who knew many silly and spoiled noblemen who would suit them down to the ground. This prince had a loving heart. And when a dream whispered another possibility into his mind, he followed that voice into the woods every day. Followed the promise of a woman with the elegant fullness of the fern and the lithe quickness of the fox in mind and soul and body. A girl with a spirit like sweeping winds through soaring pines and burrowing mice in deep places. And he had gone looking for many days many months and his father the king tapped his foot impatiently the story now is an old one the prince found Elsie transformed again into a woman yet now with a bird spirit in her bones and Elsie became a princess with a dowry from her foster mother the maid of Tantla and soon she became a queen when the old king died. And in her old age, she would tell of her youthful adventures, always beginning by saying, Child, if anyone ever tells you to beware, beware the wood of Tauntla, plunge in, run into that forest and taste its hidden blessings.